Welcome to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We hope to encourage you with sermons, stories, and interviews that will challenge you to grow in your faith. Enjoy. Good morning. Ask a question. The answer is, I believe. Do you believe there is a God? Yes. Do you believe that He sent His Son? Yes. Do you believe that you was in a point of hopelessness? There is nothing that you can possibly do to save yourself. Yes. Now, I'm gonna count three to one. I want to hear everybody yell out. Uh, louder than when you cheer your football team, okay? That I believe. Three, two, one. I believe. Amen. Amen. So this morning we are going through a series of kings. We talked about the different kings, and uh, the one that I decided I want to talk about is uh, King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah is... uh, he is an amazing, uh, not, not by, my, by my words, but this is what the, the Bible says about King Hezekiah. It says, in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became to reign. He was 25 years old, and when he became king, and he reigned on Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the hype from the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake uh, Moses made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Neshutin. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That's quite a statement if, uh, for a king. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Hezekiah was the man. Now, was he a perfect man? Oh, no, he was not uh, definitely a perfect man. As a matter of fact, let me try to contrast um, him to his father Ahaz. And like I said before, um, not uh, Ford's uh, opinion. This is what the Bible says. This is Hezekiah's father. Ahaz gathered together. This is 2 Chronicles 28, uh, right at the last two verses, um, last four verses. Ahaz gathered together furnishings from the temple of God, cut them into pieces. He shut the door of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. In every town in Judah, he built high places to build sacrifices to other gods and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. The other events of his reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his ancestors, and was buried in the city of Jerusalem. But he 
was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Major contrast. Father to the son. That this dad, Ahaz, was not even buried among the kings. And you see what he did? He, he literally turned God's wrath on by bringing all these foreign gods and worshiping them completely. He literally closed the temple, took all the gold, and made other things with it. And not to mention, he, he gave some of the gold to make peace with other nations, the Assyrians. There are three points I'd like to talk about this morning. The first point is that King David's life actually had an impact on the young man Hezekiah. Because these, these principles here, I believe, actually applies to right here in the now. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, you will see that when you count from David down to Hezekiah, there is a whole bunch of generations that have passed, like nine or ten generations before Hezekiah come into the picture. And yet, David, the way he was when he was king, set quite an example that when Hezekiah became king, he followed God just like his father David. The Bible says that he did exactly the same thing just like his father David. What an insult. Insult if you are the biological father of this young man, Ahaz. No, he said his father David did. Followed God. Family, sometimes in life, as a parent, it's easy to cave in to the pressures of the surrounding. It's easy to make other people feel good. Sometimes it makes us question how we're about to raise, you know, how to raise our own children. But I promise you, if you really love your children, do not compromise. There's a book that's already written on how to raise children. And just like Hezekiah, he remembered what his great, great, great father did that it literally affected him on how he decided he was going to reign. So what does that have to do with us today? Whether you are a great-grandparent, a grandparent, a parent, whether you're an aunt or uncle, there's a great message here. You could be a David example to your kids, to your grandkids, to your nephews, your co-workers, your friends, out there in this world that we live in today. And family, as the world looks like it's got everything under control, I believe that you, if you are a true follower of Christ with the wisdom that you have, we're not. It's a false sense of peace that's out there. That's why people are always trying to find something. But you have, you have the answer. You have the gospel. You are a Christian. You are a light. The examples in how you live your life as a Christian is going to affect your little ones and those way out in the future. And remember this, David was 10 generations all the way down, and they're still talking about him when, with Hezekiah. The same principle can apply to you. You can be the one that generations talk about. Hey, remember great-grandpa so-and-so-and-so? This is what they did. And despite of what everybody else in the village says, 
your great great grandpa was such a nutcase that now looking back, he was right all along because he followed God, he followed the truth, and he never wavered. Children, let me tell you something. Sometimes the things that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa say to you that you really do not like, it won't be because they hate you. It won't be because they don't want you to be happy. It won't be because they do not want you to have fun. It is because they love you. And the world, oh my goodness, have all kinds of ideas now as if we are so much smarter now on how to raise a family and wonder why we are in the chaos that we are in right now that we don't even, we can't even identify what is a family. But I tell you this morning, family, just like David was, if there was no God, we wouldn't be talking about David. If there was no God, we wouldn't be talking about Solomon. If there was no God, we wouldn't even be talking about um, any person that's related to God. Because it is God who gives significance to the kings. The kings don't give significance to God. It is the teaching of the Father. It is the teachings of God that made these people shine. And when they rebel from the teachings of God, well, we see how those things stands out. Who would want to go down in history like Ahaz? And it's not easy. Family, and in the world that we are in today, I hate to tell you this, just like that great, great, great grandpa that's a nutcase, you are the nutcases now. Because the things that you think and the way that you process things is not equal to the way the world sees things. Because you see things through the eyes of God. And you can actually test the teachings of God and you realize he's always, always, always right. When God laid the foundation of the world, there, it's one straight line. And the only way that we can be along with him is when we're in it. The minute you veer off, you have lost it. But you can come back again. But it's when we're walking in the light as he is in the light that we have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus washes away. Amen? I want to tell you this this morning as if, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen some of the battle scenes, you know, in like in, in um, the movie Braveheart or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? He goes, he's riding his horses and he's clinking all the knives and stuff like that. That's how I want to talk to you this morning, family. We are warriors. We are soldiers of the almighty God. And we have no option. There's only one option. Either we win or we die. Fighting battle. The reason why the movie 300 is some of the things that we don't know about. There was only two ways for them soldiers to come back. And with this 300 men, I don't know if you know the story. That's how, that's how Greece raised the power. It had to start somewhere. And the wives will tell them, their husband, you have two ways of coming back home. 
riding with your spear in victory or on your shield with your friends bringing you back home. Family, that's all we are. We should not be dismayed when everything around us looks like it's about to fall and everything is impossible. Because no matter what Satan, no matter what the world has to offer you, no matter what challenges comes before your life, remember this, you have a God. And the way you battle your wars today is how you're going to go down in your little family history on how your children and how your grandchildren are going to see you. Just like Hezekiah, he remembers his dad, his grandpa David, and he chooses to follow in his footsteps. The things that we do today is going to have an impact on our co-workers, our relatives, our friends, and especially our kids. Especially our kids. I was in Samoa last year, and there was a, a, a couple from Australia. And uh, they noticed that in front of a lot of the houses, we bury our loved ones right next to the houses. And, and, and for this particular time, there were, there were tombs right in front of the house. And uh, so they, they asked me, hey, how, how come they bury the people? How come they bury the people right there in front? I said, so every time you get up and you go out, remember who came before you. And when you come home from work, guess what? You see him again. You see, I heard a person say that every human being is like an island. You know, when a captain is coming close to a land mass, they only see the peak or the island is like, you only see the part that sticks out. Well, what the people don't realize if you take away what's underneath there, you won't even see the island because it'll be underwater. Family, the island, in a way, represents who you are. You are the part that sticks out. Everything that's underwater are your ancestors who hold you up, that build everything up, that you now sticks out. Think about that. So that way, when you go through life, be the best representative of those that are not seen, especially now as a Christian, be the good representative of the Son of God who died and gave your life, gave his life for us. Be like David, how he impacted all those who came after him. Even today, in 2024, we're still talking about David. You can have a story too, just like David was to Hezekiah. Of course, David's life had an impact on how Hezekiah lived his life. The second point that I'd like to bring up is this. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. What is going on in the time of Hezekiah? The Assyrian nation, the Assyrian armies, they are literally obliterating all the major countries 
and everybody is falling at the hands of the Assyrians. It, it was an impossible feat. There is no way you can stand up to the Assyrian army. And they know that. So what they're rolling from nation to nation to nation, fear of everybody around them, rose in such a high that everybody was like, there is no even Hezekiah. We'll talk about ignorance is not bliss. Let me tell you all. Let me read to you some of the threats that uh, the Assyrian army said to the people of God. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander. This is uh, 2 Kings 18, uh, 17 and following. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander and chief uh, office to the field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem, stopped at the, attic, um, the aqueduct in the upper pool, the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king and Elakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shibna, the secretary, and Joah, Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel, the mighty, uh, might forewarn, but you speak only empty words. Only whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who all depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places the altar of Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can even put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this place without word, uh, without word from the Lord. The Lord himself told me to march against this country. Now further on down, uh, 31, do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me, come out to me, then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, the bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. This is from the enemy. And then they say, choose life. If you want to live, abandon your God. If you want to live, make a bargain with me. I am mightier than your almighty God. I mean, look at what we've done. We've but destroyed everything. And uh, I was thinking, like, man, you know, what, what can we equate that to? Well, for those of us who have been here long enough, it's kind of like World War II, when Hitler was out there destroying everything, and everybody was like in a state of shock and fear and hopelessness. They don't know what to do. And I can't tell you this, but I'm curious how many people prayed. But you see what happened? Hitler fell. Despite his army, he fell. And then you have this guy, Sennacherib, and every time nations who came after this, 
they always think that, you know what? The reason why them nations fell is because they did it wrong. We can do better. Family, if you're going against God, you're going to repeat the same dumb process over and over again. Because what happened to the army of the Assyrian army? The people of God cried up to God. And he sent an angel. Angel. No plural. Angel. One. Uno angel. Overnight, it says, killed 185,000 Assyrians. Officers, warriors, leaders, destroyed them all. The point, ignorance is not bliss. You can believe or not believe there's a God. It ain't going to change who he is. Because he is the great I am that we sang about. The creator of all things. The beginning and the end and the in-between. Almighty God. And it doesn't matter to him whether we are aware of him or whether we are ignorant of him. Ask any Assyrian soldier. One angel. Ignorance is not bliss. Now how do we apply that today? Just because there are things that we are not aware of, just because there are things that are so dangerous out there and that we are ignorant of it does not take away the potency of what that thing is. Last year, there were reading stories about people who fell victim to this drug called fentanyl. Two lawyers. Well, wow, that smart people, right? But these two ladies decided they're going to go out in the night. Have some fun. And then they decided, well, you know what? It can't be that bad, right? Family, they died that night. We're only trying it for one time. A man who's still grieving his two boys out of Colorado. The oldest son is graduating high school. And then he took his younger brother with him, who's a junior. The celebration. And the older brother decided, you know what? This, I'm going to try this one time. Well, not only did he die, the younger brother died too. Family, the, what I'm trying to say is that ignorance is not bliss. I had a job opportunity to work in Hawaii, and this is a true story. To work in Hawaii, I came across a man who was delivering the mail for up in Cocoa Beach, and he happened to be a retired uh, officer, captain, who run the federal prison in Philadelphia. And as he was sharing with me, I was telling him who I am, and I'm from the island. He said, you know what? They're building the same prison in Hawaii. Wouldn't you like to go work there? The, I was blown away. Of course I want to go there. He said, well, I'll tell you what, my son is actually in charge of hiring the staff. All you have to do is go sign up, and you're in. You will, you've done beat anybody that applies for that job. So here I am thinking, well, so I signed up. I go to the interview, and I didn't get the job. I didn't get the job because I cannot even register to apply for the job. You know why? 
I remember there was a female, an FBI agent, has gone through my whole record, and he says, Mr. Levy, you are physically able to do the job. You are, you've got the skills to do the job. You're a veteran. But you know why you don't qualify? Because you have bad credit score. That's why you can't register for the job. You have a bad credit score. Ignorance is not bliss, family. Because when you go there as a law enforcer exercising law to this inmates, because you have a bad credit score, you are a compromised guard. Does that make sense? They know that you have a bad credit score. That means you need money. And the government been smart enough. Why, why, why take him there? He's going to be subjected to that stuff. Like, that stuff never happens, right? I was so happy. Well, actually, no. Now I'm happy. God said no, but I tell you what, I was mad. I was mad at God. It's a three-hour drive from up in the Ocala down here. Like, God. I, I mean, it's there, right? I mean, the guy already got his son to get me hired. All I do is do this, and everything was lining up. It is the perfect it's the perfect situation. And God said, no. Well, sometimes uh, just because they look right does not make it the right one because God has other plans. Well, put it this way. I came home sad. I guess that's what depression is. I don't know if you ever experienced depression, but it is the one moment in time where I felt that I am not worthy of that. I don't qualify to be that. And literally slap me under. That's the bad news. But the good news is, <laughs> God gave me a job. A job that, that pays a third more, 30% more than the security job. Suddenly, thank you, God. I, I like God again. But what I'm trying to tell you, the decisions that you make in life, just because you're ignorant of his outcome, does not make the outcome cater to you. My uncle told me about five years ago why he hates guns. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Here is why I hate guns. Now, remember, I grew up on an island, okay? So how could you hate guns? Well, we don't even have guns. We throw rocks. That's what we use. You know, if you ever see a Samoan prepper, Samoan prepper, if you see a pile of rocks in front of their house, you might as well, yeah, he's a prepper. You know the best thing about stoning somebody? You don't need a silencer. And the food... Well, every neighbor, they have pets. We don't have to worry about stashing food. There's food everywhere. Back to my uncle, why he hates guns. When my, my other uncle died in Vietnam, they presented my grandparents with the, the flag and then that Colt 45, right? It's also called 
1911. So if you ever get in a situation where somebody sort of break into your house, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I apologize for my joke. Don't call 911. Just pull up the 1911. That'll solve the problem right there. So back to my uncle. The reason why he hates guns, he took that 45 and he put it right on my head, right between the eyes. He said he did the same thing to my brother and then his oldest son. Then he pulled the trigger when the gun was on his side and that thing went off. From then on, it freaked him so much, he can't, he can't stand the guns because of his ignorance. If he pulled that trigger, I would definitely be not the one bringing a message this morning. Ignorance is not bliss family. And my third point, how God's power are invoked. How God's mighty powers are invoked. After the delegates of the Hezekiah was sent to see the, meet the delegates of the Assyrian king, uh, he, they saw what was going to happen. They're going to get destroyed. And what do they do? This Jewish man tore their clothes and they put sackcloth. Sackcloth. What is a sign of sackcloth? What is a sign of tearing your clothes? It is a sign of total, total surrender. That with what's going on in life, there is absolutely nothing. When I say nothing, absolutely zero that you can do about the situation. And that's what this man did. They were in sackcloth. And they brought the news to Hezekiah. And guess what Hezekiah did? He did the same exact thing. He tore his clothes, and he was in sackcloth. Family, the point that I'm trying to say, if you want to invoke God's powers, we can't approach him like he is some casual God. God is a holy God. The angels, they bow before him. And the angels are actually created higher than us. We have an almighty, holy God, and you cannot casualize him. You want to approach God's throne? You need to be on your face, and you need to crawl to him, because that is who God is. One angel killed 185,000 soldiers. United States of America, we are no better than the Assyrian army if you are not obedient to God. You can put as many drones out there. God just sent one angel. All the artillery, all the nuclear weapons, one angel. Could you imagine what it's like to be in the presence of an angel? Sodom and Gomorrah, how many angels? Two. 
I don't think they needed both angels. I think the other guy just went as a tag along. Imagine the shepherds in the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. They're out there in the open field and an angel just showed up. That would definitely, it's hard for us to appreciate what it's like to freak out like those shepherds. But the story don't, and then suddenly there's this heavenly host opens up. So if they are freaking out with one, could you imagine what's really going through them when the whole heavenly host showed up? And we're talking about angels. We're not talking about God. The awesomeness and the holiness of God. And you want to invoke that power? You got to come to him as a nothing. I have to come to him as a nobody. In a world that we live in, uh, always thinking about all the different privileges, we got nothing to bring to God. Amen? David said in Psalms 51, 17, sacrifices of the Lord, it's a broken spirit. Sacrifices of the Lord, it's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The story of the prodigal son, the dad was never paying attention to him. The only time he really paid attention to him, when the son is in with the pigs and they're eating, and he's like, man, is this it? Doesn't my father have leftovers way better than this? I'll tell you what. I'm in a totally hopeless situation. I'm going to rise up, and I know who my father is. And when I show up, I'm not even going to pretend like I'm one of his sons. I know what I did that's wrong. So as he's on his way, putting in his, in his mind what he's going to say. But when the father saw him coming towards him, he ran towards him. As parents, you ever heard your kids, have you ever heard your kids cry? Like when the one gets bullied by the other, or is, you know? But then there's that certain kind of cry, like total pain, that really catches your attention. This is Ford's opinion. I firmly believe that when God, when you come to him, hopeless, no nothing to offer. When you come to him with the mentality of sackcloth, I believe that's when God hears you in that same way. You want to invoke God's powers. Humility. We have to humble ourselves that we are nobodies. And then it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and what? He will lift you up. And if God lifts you up, who can bring you down? Huh? You guys, children of God, when our Father lifts us up, who can bring us down? Absolutely nothing. And that's the message we need to tell the world. I don't know if you are a Christian today, but today can be that day. Stop trying to figure out how to save yourself. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. He promises if you come to him, you're weary and heavy, and he's going to give you rest. 
There's a story of a young man, and uh, he, he squealed, cried out to his father. And the father didn't hear him. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not because God does not love his son, but he loved us, that he gave his son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. Today is the day of salvation. Don't go forth without taking Christ into your life, confessing him as Jesus as Lord, getting baptized for the removal of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, meditate on what he has done for me and what he has done for you. And when you're ready, you can make your way up. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and mercies towards us. Father, it's hard for us to really fathom uh, what that really, really, really means. But I believe, Father, we're talking about eternal things, things that we're ignorant about. But also, Father, through your word, you are a loving Father, and you will come to our aid. Give us a humble heart. Give us a contrite heart. Thank you, Jesus, for we can do nothing apart from your love. And as we partake of your body and blood, Jesus, help us to remember who we are and what you have done for us. Dear Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We pray you are encouraged and blessed. And until next time, grace and peace to you.